1: We'd like to welcome Sophie Barron, founder and CEO of The Conversationalist, an online community and multimedia platform focused on giving Gen Zers a place for civil debate and political discussion. Sophie, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Joshua, for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: So did I get that right? Uh, Is there anything I missed from that little description?
2: I mean, you did a pretty great job, Jacob. But the only thing I would add is that I oftentimes like to describe myself for who I am in addition to what I do. So at my core, I like to describe myself as a unifier. I feel like I was put on this earth to bring people together across divides, to have conversations, and that's a huge part of my identity. So I'd also just love to add that in.
0: How did the Conversationalist start? How did you get this initiative off the ground?
2: It's been many years in the making, but really the, the vision behind the Conversationalist came from two parts of my life. The first part was growing up in Kansas. Have either of you been to Kansas?
0: No, we do not nope. <laughs> yeah, no, we I have not, personally.
2: No. Most people haven't, but I grew up in Wichita, and from an early age, I knew that I wanted to do something important. I saw different issues around me in school with my friends, and I was always that problem solver. But quickly, from an early age, I realized that I was different from a lot of my peers. I was the only Jewish kid in my entire school. And from an early age, I started to feel isolated. I I felt a lot of shame around my identity because I was different from everyone around me. And that shame led me to feel like I didn't have a voice. And so as soon as I left the Midwest, followed the Yellow Brick Road to the University of Pennsylvania for college, I tried to just get outside of my silo, my echo chamber that I was brought up in, in Wichita. And so as soon as I got to campus, I realized that the only person that was You know, making me feel like I didn't have a voice was actually myself. And all along, I had one, and every young person has a voice. But oftentimes, we don't know how to use it, or we wait for someone else's permission to say go. So that was part one of the journey. And the abridged version of part two is that fast forward to the 2016 election on my campus. I mean, this is the Gen Zers Talks Politics podcast, after all. During the election, my campus felt so polarized. There was no dialogue happening on any side of the aisle. And I I just really felt the palpable presence of that echo chamber. And so I, I wanted to do something about it and I didn't know how, but there was this one moment I was sitting in a finance class and my teacher started spewing his beliefs on the election and telling us how to vote in the classroom. And that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. I was feeling so frustrated that there wasn't a place To have open discourse around the election, the issues facing our generation, and more. So I stood up, left the classroom, took pen to paper, and wrote this whole column about how, in order to bridge that divide, we have to break open the echo chamber. And so that column quickly got published in the Huffington Post, which then led to The Conversationalist. I felt like this could be a bigger idea to really bring our generation together. So, long story short, (laughs) that's how The Conversationalist started.
0: Just to follow up on that point, you mentioned that you grew up in Wichita and then you went to the University of Pennsylvania. So that's a pretty big difference, right? I mean, you're moving from Kansas to a college campus. Obviously, the political environments must have been very different. How were they different and how did they affect how you view politics today?
2: That's super interesting. So I always dissect that through the lens of my own echo chamber. So growing up in Wichita, I grew up in a very privileged, a very white community and for the most part, a very conservative Republican community. And so I think growing up, I was exposed to a lot of conservative beliefs that impacted my ideology. And then of course, when I went to the East Coast for college, I got the opposite. So I felt like being on the East Coast, being in Philly, I was exposed to a lot of views that I hadn't been aware of before. And I Almost feel like I'm like sometimes the Hannah Montana (laughs) of our generation because both of my echo chambers have given me the best of both worlds. So I can think objectively about my political beliefs today. Um, And I'm still, I'm a human. I'm growing, I'm evolving. I don't completely know where I stand on the political spectrum. But I think having that insight into both sides gave me a lot of insight. And so it was interesting seeing that play out on my college campus. And I think because I had that. Perspective from Wichita in the back of my head, I was able to really figure out how I wanted to catalyze dialogue and how I wanted to make that change. So, two very different environments, but have ultimately led me to be able to have a really good head on my shoulders when it comes to figuring out what I believe in.
1: Do you have any unique strategies that you use to promote these types of conversations that aren't intimidating to young people that can actually bring them in and not feel awkward? For sure.
2: So I think, honestly, Jacob, it comes down to calling it as it is, right? These conversations are heated. They're controversial. They're hard to talk about. And I think the minute we ignore that is when the conversation becomes intimidating. So I always try to just acknowledge that these conversations are and will continue to be uncomfortable, but rather try to instill the ideal in our generation that. Discomfort is good. It's time to embrace that discomfort, get comfortable with the uncomfortable because within that discomfort and that friction is when we grow. So that's strategy number one, making sure that people are aware that these conversations are hard and there's not a magic wand that I can wave to make that go away, but rather leaning into that and also taking some of the pressure off that at the end of the day, conversations are just an exchange of ideas and I don't know if you two feel this way hosting this podcast but I think we get conversations and debates confused and a lot of times when it comes to really tough topics people go into a conversation expecting debate expecting dissent expecting to be challenged so that you're constantly on the defense but what I try to encourage throughout all of our conversations at TC is to really make sure that conversations are had with the intention of better understanding another person's perspective or lived experience that differs from your own. And I think if anyone can enter a conversation from that same starting point, it also alleviates a lot of that pressure to, you know, let the conversation just go where it naturally goes. So I would say those are probably my two initial tactics that hopefully take some of that pressure off because at the end of the day, conversations are not to win. They're not to bring someone over to your side or change someone's mind. Conversations are to be had in order to better understand someone else's worldview.
0: For issues that you have strong opinions about, how do you talk with those with opposing points of view on the matter so that the conversation does not get derailed or made awkward in any way? So
2: again, I'm going to be honest, Joshua, the conversation is going to be awkward. It's going to be awkward, especially if it's a topic like you said that you feel extremely strong about. And for me, it's tricky, right? I'm human. When I come across a belief that is different from my own, it's challenging, right? Because my gut response is to want to shove that out of my face. I don't want to think about it. I only want to stick to my guns. But I think for me, when it comes to making sure that the conversation happens productively and that it doesn't get derailed, I have to lean into that. And so something that I try to do to make sure that the conversation doesn't get derailed is making sure that I'm present. And I think that's so simple, but it's so profound when it comes to dialogue. Like even right now, while we're recording the podcast, I have notifications going off on my Slack. I have you know someone passing by my window there are so many distractions but i'm trying to narrow all of them down to be here in the moment to have this conversation with the two of you and i think what we get wrong in those heated discussions is not fully being present so i always put on do not disturb on my phone or i'll flip it over on the table i'll always make sure that when i'm seated i'm actually making eye contact with the person who's talking And this piece here, I think, is the the real piece to this equation, which is try not to prepare your next thought while the other person's speaking. I'm sure we're all guilty of it, you know, wanting to make sure you're ready to chime in as soon as the other person finishes to get your point across. But I actually find that in order to keep the conversation on track, you've got to stay focused on what the other person is saying. And the secret to that is that if you can fully listen to the other person and make them feel heard, they're gonna give that right back to you. So in order to keep the conversation on track, stay there in the moment, try to close all of your mental and literal tabs and try to listen more than you speak.
1: So let's turn to actually running The Conversationalist. You have the social media platform on uh, Geneva, the, the app, I've been using it every day. It's, it's such a good app. I, I, it's, it's clean interface. How they actually structure the little conversations, little notifications, little emojis. What's it like actually managing that that platform for young people to debate politics in a uniquely polarized landscape? Like, how do you manage all that? How do you moderate it? How do you get people to actually share their thoughts and to, you know, listen?
2: Well, first of all, thank you so much, Jacob. I can't take
1: all the credit. Our friends at Geneva
2: have built a brilliant platform and we're so lucky to build alongside them. And I think being completely candid with the two of you, it's been hard, you know? I I think a lot of what we're doing at The Conversationalist is trying to change a culture and change a lot of the ways in which we operate day to day as a generation. And that change doesn't happen overnight. But I really believe that every conversation we're having is getting us closer to that ideal world we want to live in. And so, when it comes to managing our community as well as our social media platforms with all of these heated topics, the thing that has intrigued me the most is how freeing and how liberating it can feel to share your truth, thoughts, and opinions. I think nowadays with cancel culture and the mentality that we have to walk on eggshells when it comes to sharing our true thoughts and opinions is, you know, only getting us so far. And I think what we've been able to curate and create within our community is an environment where people can truly share their opinions without fear of judgment. And that has also been challenging with cancel culture, trying to take it the other way. So, I think when it comes to managing our community and our social media platforms with all of these heated topics, it's been fascinating just over time to watch our different members become increasingly more comfortable sharing their views and how that feeling of being open and vulnerable and really sharing what you believe in has been able to bring people closer together. And I think right now there's a misconception out there that if you do share your true thoughts and opinions, it's actually going to further divide you. And it's going to bring you further away from someone else. But I believe that that's the key to unification, right? Because if we can truly share those thoughts and opinions, we can slowly start getting closer and closer and closer together simply by being exposed to someone else's point of view.
0: Yeah. So continuing on the social media aspect, as we've all seen, social media is often used to wage, you know, the culture war and all these political fights over literally anything. So how do you plan on reversing the impact social media has had on political discourse and applying it to really close to political divide? What's what's your end game here?
2: For sure. And it's no easy feat. I mean, in a way, I feel like we're going up against these huge tech giants and algorithms like Cambridge Analytica and you know, everything you see in the social dilemma on Netflix, you know, everything out there right now in the digital space is operating to divide us, like you said. What I have been doing since the start, ever since that day I got up from that classroom at Penn and took pen to paper, is just trying to educate and empower our generation on what the echo chamber is. And I didn't even know what that term was until I started doing this work. And I find that people out there aren't even aware That they're trapped in these silos and these environments where people only encounter beliefs, perspectives, and opinions that coincide with their own. And so, a lot of what I'm doing through social media and through our platform on Geneva and all of our other initiatives is to make people realize and have that aha moment that they need to break out of their own echo chamber. And so, I'm sure you've seen this on the platform, and Jacob, it means so much that you've been on the app, Um, but we have people there 24 seven talking about every issue under the sun impacting gen z from multiple points of view so every person who's in the community and in that app and on our social media platforms and on our talk show all represent those echo chamber breaking viewpoints that can help us unify so number one it's through the people And then, number two, I don't know if you've seen what I've been doing on social media, but every day I try to share about a breaking news event on my Instagram story. I ask people where they stand through a poll and a question, and then I compile all of the responses. And so, what this does on social media is it actually creates a place where we're having those important conversations from multiple points of view. And though it's not the same as in person conversation, trust me, that is the gold standard. I'm trying not to demonize social media, rather I'm trying to embrace it and use it as a force for good. And the way that I'm doing that is by taking all of these different views on hot buttoned issues and controversial current events to give people a myriad of POVs. So when it comes time to figure out what they believe in, they're no longer only privy to the views that are in their echo chamber. So I hope that's gonna be how we close the political divide. I have so much faith in the work that we're doing, but it's, it's granular. And I think it really is by each person who's breaking open their echo chamber.
1: So you're talking about this tall order, this massive goal. What have been the challenges so far? Or has anything gone more smoothly than you've anticipated? Anything that's actually been a blessing, or in skies, or anything that has been unexpected?
2: Yes, yes, and yes. You know there have been countless challenges on this journey, and I think a couple come to mind that I'd love to share. That just goes to show that this is no small feat. But all of these things have happened for a reason. So I think first and foremost, one of the biggest challenges we faced is recognizing and coming to terms with the fact that what we're doing as a platform is controversial. I started out this journey thinking, you know, we're just all gonna come together, have these conversations. It's something universal that everyone agrees on. And I was wrong. Only a few months ago, I had this realization that there are a lot of people out there that don't even believe we should be having discourse and that exposing yourself to different points of view is not a good thing. And I think that unique challenge of realizing that our platform isn't for everyone was really tough to grapple with because I like to believe that every single person out there wants to grow, wants to embrace that discomfort and wants to have those conversations, but that's not the reality. And so now a few months later, having embraced that, I think it's for the best. But at first that was super hard to acknowledge that a platform that I had built with the intention of being for everyone couldn't ever realistically be for everyone. So I think that's number one. And number two, I'm sure you've seen this just with our political climate today, but our definitions on free speech right now are completely subjective from person to person. And so if we're creating a platform for true dialogue and true conversation where people can share their opinions without fear of judgment, that's going to alienate a lot of people who don't have the same definition of free speech as I do. So we've done our due diligence to really try to lay that out in our community guidelines, reaffirm it as much as possible, but that's a big divide that's out there right now. People who really believe that certain viewpoints are hate speech, even if they're not advocating for the physical harm of another person. And I think that divide of what is something we're allowed to talk about versus something that people don't think we're allowed to talk about is challenging. And so we've had to kind of navigate it and find ways to really stand firm in our own convictions. But it's hard when, again, I started out wanting to please everyone and create this platform for every type of person. But we had to realize that in order to be our own platform, our own network, our own community, we have to adopt our own rules and regulations that you wouldn't get on a platform like Twitter or Reddit or another social media network because we wanna create the change that we hope
0: to see. Well, I certainly agree with you about um, our political discourse currently being a minefield. And so I, I guess on that matter, I'd have to ask, what's your advice for Gen Zers who want to get involved in civil discussion, but don't know where to start? Or if they're politically ostracized, for example, what can they do?
2: I've brought up the term echo chambers a lot today. And I think the simplest way to get involved in civil discourse is to break open your echo chamber. I think there's the simplest thing that you can do, even on social media, whether it is Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Parler, you name it. Find people and platforms and organizations that present you with different viewpoints outside of your own. And just those little monumental changes, I try to challenge myself to follow five new accounts a week that can help challenge my viewpoints. That steady increase can almost make you feel like you're reclaiming power within the echo chamber space that is social media so number one that's a great way to get involved in civil discussion because you're not only seeing the discussion that reaffirms what you believe in and i think part two to that which might even be better as part one is having some conversations with yourself and i mean quite literally talking to yourself whether it's in front of a mirror if it's in your head if it's when you are lying in bed at night try to ask yourself the hard-hitting questions that you've never asked yourself before to really understand what you believe in. I've been trying to do this lately. I've been trying to better understand why I believe what I believe based on the environment that I was brought up in. And the more that you can understand yourself and your own voice and your own convictions, the more confident you're going to feel when you enter into any sort of civil discussion. So talk to yourself, as weird as that sounds, and try to break open your echo chamber, even in the smallest of ways, to start seeing the world through someone else's eyes.
1: You have your social media accounts. You have the Geneva platform with the chat rooms. You have the new POVC show. But what's next? I, I just focused on growing these branches of the conversationalist tree, or is there something else you you want to you want to tease while you're here?
2: Well. We have some exciting things happening that I haven't said out loud yet, so I'd love to share them here. First and foremost, we did just launch the first ever Gen Z talk show called POVs. Get it? The Z for Gen Z. And what we're doing now is we're working to bring that show to the face-to-face space. So we're gearing up for a full-on in-person filming of our new talk show that hopefully will premiere right at the beginning of 2022 so that's very exciting and number two we're about to launch a very exciting new product and we're we're gearing up to launch a brand new text line we want to find a way to really reach people and meet them where they are to actively help them break open those echo chambers that i keep alluding to today so if there's a current event happening in the world right now what's top of mind for me is the situation in afghanistan what we could do send you a text to your phone give you the lowdown on what you need to know about the topic and say hey jacob joshua where do you currently stand on this issue and depending on where you stand we can send you something to help give you another side to help open your eyes to a new perspective so very exciting we're gearing up to launch the text line gearing up for our talk show and besides that just continuing to have these conversations every single day
0: And finally, is there anything else you would like our listeners to know? Anything else you'd like to tell them?
2: I'm sure your audience already knows this in their heart of hearts, but I just have to say it. People are so much more than their political beliefs. And when it comes to political discussion, I think sometimes it's human nature, but it's so quick to assume that you know everything about a person just by one thing they said sometimes I feel like that's cherry picking, right? Like you can see something, you feel like it's representative of an entire group of people. And then you assume anything that you want to assume about that person and you ascribe every label to them as well. And so for anyone out there listening and you're dabbling with political discourse, you're diving into that hard conversation, just try to remember that human beings are more than the boxes that society places us in. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to acknowledge our shared humanity beyond our political beliefs. So I just wanted to add that in and just wanted to thank you both so much for having me.
1: Thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Um, We'll make sure to link the conversation on this website, uh, link to Geneva, all of that in the description. Just thank you so much. This has been great. And thank you
2: Um, both so much for all the great work that you're doing to make these conversations possible. That's what it's all about. And I'm so inspired by the podcast that you've built and just feel honored to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, thank you. And we wish you the best of luck um, in developing the conversation. It looks, it looks like you have a big plans, So best of luck with those.
2: Thank you so much.
1: And that concludes this episode of Gen Zeros Talk Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at TalkPolitics and on Twitter at Gen Zeros Talk Poly with an I and add or email us to ask your burning questions.
0: Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time.